Well, good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, that you're here with us, that you hear our prayers, and that even though we wrestle with you many, 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 many times, you love us and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we might be forgiven as you rose again from the cross. And so we thank you for in, and pray that we might uh, take home something that's, uh, that you mean for us out of our worship today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been on a bus tour or a vacation where you see a lot of new places or do a lot of new things? In the first service, there was a whole group who had just come back from a bus service, and they started laughing right there because they, the bus, I guess, broke down or they had some sort of bus trouble. And it's like God has a sense of humor when he's given us messages to bring to you guys and, and right away. So <laughs> if you've ever been on a bus tour or a vacation like that and you saw a lot of new things and got to do a lot of things, but you didn't have enough time, right? And you might even say, hey, we need to go back and do that again and spend more time doing that. Well, that's what we're doing with our tour of the Bible called The Big Picture. We're doing, starting at the very beginning in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, and we'll finish in parts of the New Testament in May. Pastor Tom and I hope that'll give you the big picture and a big understanding of what's contained in God's word. But we hope you'll find places in scripture where you want to go back and visit again, both parts that we visited in, in worship and also in parts that we've had to skip over in between. And that's why we encourage you to open your Bible and follow along and uh, once again, if you didn't bring a Bible today, there's one right in the seat back before you. And if you don't own one, please accept that one as a gift from St. John's because we really want you to spend time in a regular habit of getting to know God's Word. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32 and put your finger in there or put a bookmark in there because we're going to read that in a little while. <clears throat> Last week you read Genesis chapter 18, and this week we're in chapter 32, and we've had to skip a whole lot of stuff in between, but if you're going to understand what's going on in, in chapter 32, we have to review some of what we've missed along the way. So we'll read those verses when we get caught up. You may remember from last week that God promised Abraham and his wife, and, and we'll have a slide here, there we go, um, that they would have a child. Of course, there was a lot of laughter at this because Abraham and Sarah were old. Now, Pastor Tom had a hard time calling Abraham and Sarah old last week because he's not old. Okay. Don't tell him I said that. But I'm old, or I'm getting old, and so I understand this a little bit better. Honestly, Sarah and Abraham were old. 
way past the point of having children. In fact, Mary and I have four children. And, but now, when we have just one granddaughter come over, we look at each other, Mary and I do, and we go, how are we going to catch up, keep up with her? And then we wonder, how did we do four way back then? Well, we're getting old, and Sarah and Abraham were old as well. But like you and I, they didn't have any trouble being impatient, especially since they were old and the clock was ticking. If they were going to have another child, um, if they were going to have another child, it had better start happening soon, right? We better get to it. So they took matters into their own hands, and Sarah gave her servant Hagar to Abraham, and Ishmael was born. That wasn't God's promise. Despite this, and true to his word, God gave Sarah and Abraham the son he had promised them, a son named Isaac. So we see in the slide at the top of Abraham's family tree that Abraham had two sons. Excuse me, Abraham, Ishmael through Hagar and Isaac through Sarah. We're going to follow the family tree through the people shown in blue, the line that includes Isaac. But you should know that the Arab nations in the Middle East and later the Islamic religion all began with Hagar and Ishmael. And so when you hear of tensions in the Middle East or tensions between um, Islam, it all started with the family harmony, I should say, the disharmony between Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac. The root is right there in the upper right-hand corner of that family tree. You'll also notice on the left side of the family tree that Abraham had another wife named Keturah. He married her after Sarah died, but we're not going to look at that today. So let's start getting caught up. The promised son, Isaac, is born in chapter 21, as we just mentioned. Now, however, God did protect and bless Hagar and her son Ishmael. You may be familiar with the story of how Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac on the mountain. God stopped him and provided a ram caught in the thicket instead. That's in chapter 22. Sarah died in chapter 23, and Isaac marries Rebekah in chapter 24. Rebekah and Isaac had two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And it's Jacob we're going to be talking about today. Esau was the firstborn with Jacob's hand firmly grasping his heel as they both left the room. In fact, Jacob's name means heel in Hebrew and has the connotation of being a deceiver. And it totally fits. Later in chapter 25, Esau grows into being a hunter, while Jacob is a little more domestic. Esau came in from hunting one day, totally famished, and begged Jacob for some of the stew he was cooking. Jacob agreed to feed his brother if Esau would sell him his birthright. Now this is a big deal. In Hebrew culture, the firstborn received 
twice as much of an inheritance as anyone else and had quite a few other benefits as well. Jacob effectively robbed Esau of his firstborn rights, rights, all for the price of a bowl of soup. Yes, Jacob is a deceiver. Well, God reaffirmed his promises to Isaac, who's Jacob's father, in chapter 26 by promising to multiply his offspring like the stars of heaven. Well, finally, it's nearing the time of Isaac's death, and Isaac wants to bless his sons. This is another big deal, and the birthright is at center stage. Blessings were extremely serious predictions of one's future and even assurance of God's presence. Jacob, with the help of his conniving mother, Rebecca, disguised himself to fool his father, Isaac, into giving him the firstborn blessing. That is, the blessing that really belonged to Esau. Later, when Esau presented himself to his father for blessing, Isaac discovers in terror that he had been deceived. But he can't undo having given the firstborn blessing to Jacob because blessings had that much force. Esau's blessing then was the consolation prize. And he was furious with his brother. So, deceiving mother Rebekah sent her favorite deceiving son Jacob far away to escape Esau's wrath. Oh yeah, have I forgotten to mention that Isaac and Rebekah have favorite children? Esau's was, favorite, was Isaac's favorite son because he loved to eat the game that Esau hunted. Rebecca, on the other hand, loved Jacob most and willingly deceived her husband and her other son for Jacob's sake. Just as an aside, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, please don't ever play favorites with your children. It's explosively destructive in families, as we'll see, we've already seen and will continue to see throughout Scripture, and as you will experience if you allow that cancer to persist in your family. So Rebecca sent her son Jacob far away to her brother Laban to escape Esau and find a wife. Now Jacob does indeed find a woman to marry among Laban's family. She was the lovely, beautiful, and gracious Rachel. Laban consents to allow Jacob to marry his daughter, Rachel, if he first works for Laban for seven years. Jacob agrees, and those Jacob floats through those seven years totally smitten with Rachel. The time finally came for them to marry, and they married, but they didn't. Jacob's scoundrel of a father-in-law, Laban, switched daughters at the wedding. Jacob unknowingly married Leah, Laban's older and less becoming daughter. And Jacob didn't discover the deception until the next morning. The fur flew, so to speak, and Laban agreed to allow Jacob to marry Rachel if he promised to work another seven years. Well, in chapter 30, we learn that Rachel couldn't bear children, 
while Jacob's unloved wife, Leah, was giving him plenty of sons. In distress, Rachel gave Bilhah to Jacob, hoping to have sons through her servant. Haven't we heard this story before? But wait, there's more. When Leah could no longer have sons, she gave Jacob her servant Zilpah for more sons. Finally, God blessed Rachel, the favorite and only wife that Jacob had ever loved, with two sons, Jacob and I mean Joseph and Benjamin. And true to the family dynamics, they became Jacob's favorite children. You can read about how that turned out on your own. Meanwhile, Jacob was working for his not-so-loving father-in-law, Laban. The story of how that worked was, is captivating, but in the end, Laban's sons accused Jacob of swindling away all their father's wealth. And indeed, Jacob had become quite wealthy. It was going to become unhealthy, so to speak, for Jacob to remain with Laban. And so once again, he had to flee. Well, at this point, Jacob sent, or God sends Jacob back home to where he came from 21 years earlier. You'll recall that Jacob had to run away from the wrath of his defrauded brother Esau. And that's just where he's going back to now, to meet Esau. And Jacob is terrified. This brings us to the verses in Scripture that we're reading today. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, and we'll be reading verses 9 through 13 and 22 through 30. I hope this has helped you to understand why we had to go through the precarious history and family tree of Abraham to introduce us to Jacob. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sands of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Skipping to verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jacob, Jabbok. And he had sent, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. 
Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jacob is returning home, and he begins with prayer. Now, the prayer was prompted by his fear of Esau. Nevertheless, he expresses genuine gratitude to God and humble recognition that he's unworthy of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And he did know that God was with him. This is the first time Jacob had ever addressed God by his special name, Yahweh, translated here, Lord. He reminded God that God had promised to make his offspring as numerous as the sand of the sea. And he recognized how God had already blessed him and appealed to God for protection. Despite that, Jacob was a lot like you and me. He had trust issues. Out of fear of Esau, he divided his family and his possession into two camps. He reasoned that if Esau attacked one group, the other would survive. So in other words, he was unable to fully trust God for protection. If you know anything about leadership, or you've ever experienced leaders, most of us have, you probably know that the best leaders lead from the front. The ones who are afraid of their angry brothers, however, they remain in the very back. Jacob sent his wives, children, servants, and all his possessions across the streams at Jabbok so that he was left alone on the safe side of the stream. Part of this strategy was to send ahead gifts to appease Esau. But the other reason he did this was so that he'd be in the safest position if his brother attacked. Well, God took this opportunity to have an extraordinary meeting with Jacob. Scripture records a nighttime encounter between God and Jacob that leaves Jacob transformed. We're told that Jacob wrestled with a man, but by verse 30, Jacob is convinced that the opponent is God himself. They wrestled until nearly dawn, the man put Jacob's hip out of joint, yet Jacob would not let go of the man until he blessed him. So the man asked him his name. Jacob, he replied. He stated his name, meaning heel and deceiver. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel is understood to mean he strives with God. Jacob, now Israel, called the name of the place Peniel because he had seen God face to face and yet his life had been spared. 
The Old Testament prophet Hosea reflected on this. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found out at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. Now, you might think that the story of Jacob wrestling with God is just that, a story, or maybe some interesting history. Why should you remember it when you go home? Why should you dust off your Bible and read about it? Well, because this is your story. You wrestle with God every single day over who will be God in your life. I know because I do this too. We want a God of our own choosing, not the God who chooses us. We want a kingdom of our own establishment, visible and glorious, so that we get all the kudos and all the credit, rather than God's kingdom, hidden in faith and beneath the cross. We want to do what we want to do, and call it God's will, rather than actually suffering God's will to be done among us. Jacob wanted all these things and did all the conniving he could do to get them. He sinned every day. So do you, and so do I. While Jesus was here on earth, he taught his disciples how to pray. We pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Every week here at St. John's, we'll pray it again in just a few minutes. And as you do, think about the very first thing, three things that we ask for. Although we want a God of our own choosing, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not my name. We want to build our own kingdom and rake in all the glory for ourselves. But we pray, thy kingdom come. And we always want to do our own thing and have our own way. But we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is the prayer for those of us who are like Jacob tempted and afflicted by the devil, the world, and our sinful selves. That's the reason Christ had to die on the cross for you. He died and rose again to forgive you. And because of what Jesus did on that cross for you, you are forgiven of all your sins and have eternal life with him. Thanks be to God. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you.